0: Welcome to the Littler Labor and Employment Podcast, conversations about employment and labor law issues that impact the workplace. Good morning. This is Russ McEwen from Littler Mendelssohn, and I am here this morning with my colleague, Sean McCrory. Sean is a Littler attorney based in our Dallas, Texas office, and he is a former assistant chief counsel for Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE as we know it. Uh, Worked for ICE for several years before joining Littler, and in his role with ICE was a national security attorney who handled high-profile cases implicating national security issues. Sean, it seems to me that you hear a lot in the news these days about the subject of immigration as a national security issue. And coincidentally, or perhaps not, you'll let us know, uh, we are seeing a distinct uptick in the number of immigration enforcement subpoenas being issued here in my locale, and that is the the Northeast and specifically the New York, New Jersey marketplaces. And many of these subpoenas have been directed towards our construction industry employers. So as a jumping off point today, I'll ask you, are are you in fact seeing a trend where ICE is issuing these subpoenas for I-9 and related records more frequently in the recent past? Absolutely. So the statistics are very clear on this in the, Uh, Previous year,
1: we had a little over 5,000 I-9 audits. The year before that, there were just over 1,000. So the number of I-9 audits nationwide quintupled in just the space of the year. ICE's former director has been uh, absolutely clear on this point that his goal is to increase the number of audits with an end goal of conducting approximately 15,000 a year. Uh, we're not there yet, but the fact that we quintupled and they want to triple that number from there, there's a trend that we've already seen and there's going to be more
0: of these audits coming down the road. Understood, so what happens in these cases? An employer is presented with a immigration enforcement subpoena and I understand looking for I-9 and related records, perhaps payroll records or other personnel records. What What is the process typically?
1: Right, so when uh, an audit starts, there will usually be an ICE agent there with a branch of ICE called Homeland Security Investigations, HSI, who will visit the employer's workplace along with an auditor uh, who also works for HSI. Uh, The two of them will serve a document called a notice of inspection, and that's a letter uh, accompanied by an administrative subpoena. And in that letter, they request I-9s. They'll either request for current employees or for all I-9s that you're required to store within your retention period, which I can talk a little bit more about later. Um, And you have to provide those within three days. That's by statute, by law, ICE is entitled to have the I-9s within three days. Typically, you can get a short extension for these, but there's no guarantee that that'll happen. So it's really important to have your I-9s easily accessible. Don't store them with a personnel file. Keep them separate because when an audit starts, you're only going to have three days to to hand over the I-9s. Along with the I-9s, ICE will request payroll records. They do that to cross-check just to make sure that there's an I-9 for everybody that's being paid. They will also ask for items like business licenses, unemployment tax filings, and they will also ask for mismatch letters that an employer has received. Um, This is becoming a big issue because the Social Security Administration had not issued mismatch
0: letters uh, since 2011, but they've just started doing them this year. So, sage advice for the employer to have its I-9 documents, you know, uh, at the ready in the event that something like this were to happen, but in reality, is, is that your experience that employers are able to respond within this three-day period? No, it's it's difficult. So
1: if I-9s are being stored on paper, one important thing to point out, too, is that you're going to be required to hand over your original I-9s, meaning that you will want to make copies of all of your I-9s before you hand them to ICE so that you, you have them on hand as the audit process develops. If you are using an electronic system to create and store I-9s, then it's a little bit easier to produce them to ICE, but we're seeing a lot of focus to making sure that these electronic systems actually comply with the electronic regulations. Um, which is something that ICE, even though these laws have existed for almost 10 years now, is something that ICE hasn't really focused on until recently. So. Two things. If you're storing them on paper, make sure they're easily accessible to be produced. If you have an electronic system, great, but make sure that it is up to speed with, with what ICE wants to see in an electronic system.
0: So let's talk for a second about that. If you're storing, let, let's st- talk about storing and, and not necessarily the format, but, but for how long? What are employers required to hold on to by way of I-9s?
1: So you have to have an I-9 for every current employee, and the way that the retention requirements read are you have to have an I-9 for the longer of one year from the date of termination or three years from the date of hire. I recommend either if you're keeping I-9s by hand or in your electronic system, making sure that you're not keeping I-9s that you're not required to have, because if I does conduct an audit and you have i9s stored that you're not required to have there's a chance that they'll still find you on those so a good housekeeping practice is to purge any i9s that are outside of the retention period um, so that they'll never be subject to an eyes audit
0: so let's say an employer is aware of its retention requirements. It, it matches that to a T. To your point, before a subpoena comes, uh, you know it purges it, its files of anything it's not required to keep. Certainly, don't want to be doing that if the subpoena is issued. <laughs> in fact, expressly don't do that. But but they've got the right amount of records uh, that they're required to keep by law. Uh, they got them in the right format and they produce them to ICE. Is that typically the end of the road? The end of the process?
1: No, so how the audit plays out is the very first uh, step that ICE will take is they are going to run all of the employee's information that is on the I-9 and check it against government databases. So from that, they will determine whether any employees lack work authorization. Now, it's important to note that as an employer, your obligation is to accept documents that reasonably appear valid on their face. Um, You're not required to be a forensic document expert, but if a document does not look to be valid, you should not take that document. If you have an employee that has presented documents that look valid, but that employee actually does not have status, then that's one of the first things that ICE is looking for. And what ICE will do is they'll issue a document that's called a notice of suspect documents and that will just be a list of employees and ice will tell you that you have 10 days to terminate the employees on that list or else you could be found violating the knowing hire provision which means it's not permissible to knowingly employ an employee who lacks work authorization in the united states If you continue to employ someone on a notice of suspect documents list for more than 10 days, then you could be looking at not just civil penalties, but criminal penalties. But when you receive that list, it's also important to inform the employees that they're on it. Give them a chance, because I've seen ICE make mistakes on this before, where people that are on the list shouldn't be on the list. Give them a chance to present proof of work authorization. ICE will look at that and tell you if that employee is allowed to continue working. The next step after that is ICE will return with its findings on the audit, um, and that's where ICE is looking for paperwork violations. So either the I-9 was not completed timely, meaning not completed, Section 1 not completed on the first day of employment, and Section 2 not completed within three business days of the first day of employment, or substantive mistakes on the I-9. So, for example, not actually You know, taking the right combination of documents or over documenting those type of errors. Now, one very important development that I've seen recently is that since the early 90s, when the I-9 regulations came into effect in 1986, for a long period of time, ICE has given employers a chance to correct what they call technical violations on I-9s, so those are simple mistakes that can be corrected. That doesn't have to do with things you can't go back in time and fix, like not completing an I-9 on the first day. ICE has been not following its internal guidance on this and actually issuing fines to employers for technical violations. This is a a new development and and a sign of of just a more aggressive posture from ICE.
0: Sean, are those fines typically de minimis or or what is the financial impact? So the the range right now goes from,
1: ICE can set a fine within a range. It goes from $221 to slightly over $2,100 per form with a violation. What I usually see ICE do, um, they have this, penalty matrix and it depends on the number of violations you have compared to your total employee population. So ICE will typically issue a fine once you have errors in about 10 over 10% of your of your I9s. Um, and that fine will be based on the number of employees with violations compared to your total count. So typically if you are going over 50% with violations, you're going to receive a fine on the high end of that range, about $1,900 per, per form with the violation. From there, ICE can increase those numbers by 5% based on employer size, um, good faith, different, different aspects. But one way to kind of prevent that is by making sure our I-9s are in, are in
0: order now and correcting the mistakes that can be corrected. Well actually that that leads me into my next and, and uh next to last point and that is what, what do you recommend for employers to prepare themselves for what appears to be this uh stepped up enforcement?
1: Sure. So um
0: there are a lot of different steps that employers should be taking
1: right now because when an ISA audit comes, it's it's like I said, you only have three days to produce the I9. So I mentioned some of these earlier. One is if you're storing by paper, make sure they're the i-9s are separate stored separately so that they can be produced easily Um, second i recommend that employers uh, be aware that ice could come to the work site and have a contingency plan in place so that involves knowing who's going to talk to ice the first point of contact that ice would have that person needs to know who to call how are we going to respond to ice be aware that ice these days, uh, it's not just conducting I-9 audits, but also doing worksite raids. there have been a few high profile cases across the, the country, a few in Ohio last year, and more recently some in Texas. So having a plan in place to know what ICE is doing at the workplace, you know, are they there to arrest people? Are they there just for I-9s? And what, how do you respond in each of those situations? And then also just spending some time now to look at your I-9's, do an audit, make sure they're in order, fix those mistakes that, that can be fixed because, like I said, in the past you had had a chance to fix them, um, now I'm not letting employers do that. If you have I-9's missing for, for some employees, you may still get fined for doing them late now, but you can get some significant reductions in penalties by taking steps to be aware of your problems before ICE comes and fixing them now instead
0: of waiting for an audit. That's that's great advice. And uh, I, I know particularly on the last piece, and that's a self audit, uh, way more material to cover than we can do in a short podcast is do you provide more extensive counsel on that or do we actually provide that service at the firm where we assist clients with I-9 review?
1: Yes. Um, we have a, very efficient uh, team of paralegals that performs internal audits um, and out of that process we will generate um, instructions and report on problems that are happening so you know who to talk to where uh,
0: what to change and also how to fix errors that can be fixed great well sean this has been really valuable information i'm I'm sure that the construction industry employers in particular in the northeast uh, here in this market who hear this Uh, We'll we'll, uh, have some good information to work with moving forward. I want to thank you for your time this morning. Thanks, Russ. I appreciate it. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers, addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue to discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice. Visit littler.com/podcasts.